Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everyone, and happy week after Thanksgiving. <laughs> we are here in Virginia with Daddy and Ashley. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hello. guys. Hello. Daddy here. Daddy here. here. This is like our annual Have Down the Podcast episode. Um, so today we've gathered some of your health questions. We asked for we asked for health questions, um, but a lot of you guys wrote in um, general anesthesia questions. But we could tackle all of it here. So I think Lauren and I are going to ask some random health questions that seem commonplace in this world. Like everybody just like kind of throws these terms around, but maybe you guys don't know, you don't get what it actually means. Okay. So Dad, I'm going to throw you a real a real easy one. Why is it bad to have high blood pressure? Oh. There's lots of reasons why it's high, bad to be high blood pressure. Um, one, it puts a strain on your heart. And over time, you know, like every other muscle, if it's pushing against too much pressure, it can start to get weak. Um, high blood pressure is also associated with... Uh, atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries, not only inside the heart, but outside the heart too, and inside your brain as well. So it it puts you at risk for stroke. It puts you at risk for heart attack. It puts you at risk for having uh, clogged arteries in your abdominal aorta and in in your legs. So um, that's why it's bad. Is a heart attack always caused by a clogged artery? Because that's what I believed it was the case when I was younger. Most of the time, there are certain circumstances where, uh, especially for people who use cocaine, um, they can get coronary artery spasm, Mm -hmm. where if there's no coronary artery disease, um, if the artery kind of like snaps shut because of uh, the effects of the the, uh, cocaine, you can have a heart attack from that. But also cocaine, it can also be like... High doses of Adderall, maybe any stimulant, but any stimulant. it's usually it's usually associated with uh, cocaine. I'm pretty sure I had a heart attack that day that I took your Vyvanse. Well, you 100 did not have a heart attack, but can you have a heart attack and then like it be done and then you just go on? Yes, it happens all the time. Oh I, God, and it depends I had upon a heart if, attack in my room in Syracuse. I think you're crazy. I think I had one. I think you're nuts. There you go. You're really? Nuts. But I had like I had heart pain. For hours. How do you know it wasn't esophageal pain or stomach pain or, you know, those it was things? right there. Well, your esophagus, esophageal spasm can cause chest pain. And it happened to happen right after I had Vyvanse? Well, I think probably there was an element of anxiety associated you were with just it also. freaking out anxiety. So you could have a heart attack where part, does part of your heart die yes. during a heart if attack? The, the, uh, the definition of a heart attack is... You know, lack of blood flow and oxygen to the heart. It can be temporary and there could be minimal damage where you would never know that you had some kind of loss of oxygen to the to a portion of the heart. 
or it can be bad and a large portion of the heart can be damaged and it could be permanent. Okay, okay. So um, can you... Can you re-clear arteries without the um, bypass surgery? Like, can you work out real hard and eat real well and then it cleans itself out? The answer to that is kind of complicated, but some of the studies suggest that if you lower your LDL cholesterol low enough, usually below the level of 70 um, deciliters um, or milligrams per deciliter, I can't remember exactly what the label is for it, but um, yes, there's evidence then you can reverse the coronary artery disease. Actually, you know, my buddy of mine who just had a heart attack said that they're trying to drive his LDLs below close to 50, which is really very, very low and in order to try that? to reverse. Well, medications, um, you know, diet cha- dietary changes, exercise. What is, a low, what is a low caloric diet consist of? Low in calories? Just low calories. Just really low calories. That's it. It's just low calories. But isn't it, wouldn't it be less meat? Doesn't necessarily have to be less meat. It's just lowering your calorie count. Doesn't too much protein strengthen your heart too much? Like make it too thick? No. What where, makes where it thick? These what makes it thick? What makes your heart thick or mm-hmm. what's something called uh, myocardial hypertrophy? is thickening of the muscle, and that's usually related to high blood pressure, long-standing high blood pressure, or athletes get it. Like um, marathon runners and how yeah, they die of, like, yeah, heart attacks. Yeah, because okay. they have really very... It's a thick muscle, and the problem is that the blood vessels that supply that muscle are very small relative to the muscle that they feed, and... um if you make the muscle too thick, those blood vessels can't kind of like reach through the entire muscle to, okay. to nourish it all. It's a, it's not exactly like that, but kind of sort of. Okay. Um, and then Lauren, I'm sorry. I know you like have some questions from the audience mm-hmm. that you want to get to, but yes. what is the difference between a stroke and a pulmonary embolism? Two totally different things. Oh, I always thought they were similar because they were like well, blockages in the ve- in a vein or they, like an, in, artery right, an artery or a vein. Okay. Okay. So a stroke... Two kinds of strokes, basically, ischemic strokes and hemorrhagic strokes. Ischemic strokes is when there's something that clogs the blood vessel that feeds the brain. Something that clogs the blood vessel that it's, feeds the, So it's brain-oriented, it's, a stroke. A stroke is brain-oriented. Okay. Okay. Uh, it can be air. It can be a blood clot. It can be a little flick of atherosclerosis or fatty deposit from arteries that go up and affect the brain. Okay. That's an ischemic stroke. A hemorrhagic stroke is something where the blood vessel bursts for whatever reason, and whether it's high blood pressure or an aneurysm. No, no pulmon- that's aneurysm. No. That's an aneurysm. That's oh, a cerebral gosh. aneurysm. Oh, I got so many things. What's the difference between a pulmonary well, a embolism and an aneurysm? Let me finish the first okay, half okay. question. So, so that's a stroke. A pulmonary embolism is yeah. when a blood clot generally uh, moves moves into the lung and occludes the ability of the heart to pump blood into the lungs. Okay. So then it can you can't be breathe. massive or it can be tiny. So you don't necessarily die from a pulmonary embolism no. all the time? No. The saddle embolism is very dangerous and what happens is the clot is so large that it comes up from usually the lower portion of your body and uh, it occludes the pulmonary arteries. They're the that's the blood vessels from the right ventricle that pumps blood to the lungs. 
it's so big a clot that it blocks both sides. Oh, uh, God. And you can't breathe? Well, you can breathe, but you're not you're not exchanging any oxygen or carbon dioxide because your heart's not pumping anything anything through your lungs. Okay, so is that instant? That it's like instant death, though, then, right? It can be, is, that can is, be that can be instant death. Is an aneurysm what's instant death? It doesn't necessarily aneurysm doesn't necessarily have to be instant death. And it what can is be. an aneurysm then? So an aneurysm is a weakening of the wall of an artery. It can be anywhere. But we were talking specifically about cerebral aneurysms. Those are little outpocketing or pouches of weakness in the in the lining or the walls of arteries that feed the brain. But, I feel like I'm going to faint. Continue. But uh, you can have you can have aneurysms anywhere. You, you most other common one is an aortic aneurysm, which is in your it's the large artery that comes off the heart um, and into the lower portion of the body. Is that instant death? It can be instant death, but most often there's a warning. There's usually a warning sign. Which is? Uh, belly pain or back pain. And it's like within how long of the actual big crash? Some people will have this tearing, you know, back pain and still be stable, come to the uh, the emergency room, get scanned, and they see that they have it. Okay. And, you know, then the decision is how to fix it at that, that period of time. So, or whether you need to operate immediately or, or, and there's a couple of different operations to fix it. Well, speaking of health, um, it's not just about, you know, your biological, physical health, but about your mental health. A lot about having a happy life and, and healthy life. Yes. Has to do with having good mental health. And that's where BetterHelp comes in, which is an online counseling service that's there for you. And they connect you with professional counselors in a safe and private environment. And it's really, really convenient. And you can get the help on your own time and at your own pace. And you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Yeah, you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And it's available via desktop, mobile web, um, Android, Mac, all the things, Apple, whatever you want to call it. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. It's secure, convenient, and professional. And they can help you with anything. There's a huge list of it, but just to name a few. Depression, anxiety, stress, grief, anger, LGBT matters, self-esteem. Um, and you can try it out today with a... Um, with a discount but best of yeah and best of all it's affordable so it's an affordable option and i don't get it listeners get 10 percent off with your first month with the discount code get it so why not get started today go to betterhelp.com slash get it and you just have to simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you will love and that's betterhelp.com slash get it and don't forget to use the discount code get it when people say like, oh, my mom has an aneurysm in her brain, they have to operate. That means like there's like a real weak no, artery no. in the brain that they need to like They're, fix. It, you know, it depends upon how it presents itself. Sometimes people will get symptoms before it ruptures. They'll do a cat, you know, generally an MRI and or a MRA, which is an angiogram, and um, they'll see these little berry aneurysms or outpocketings of the uh, of the artery. Uh, if they're symptomatic, if they have a what they call the worst headache of their life, that's the way yeah. people describe it. It's yeah. the worst headache of their life. That doesn't go away with Advil. That does go away with Advil. Um, and they get scanned. They're, 
usually need to get fixed. And there's a couple of different ways to get them fixed now. I will tell you, over the period of time that I've been in medicine, which is over, was almost 30 years, the treatment for all these things have become a lot better. Usually, it used to mean an operation. Nowadays, radiologists are able to do what they call coilings, where they can actually thread things through your groin or through your arm up into your brain. No way. And they, what? Yes. And they How ha- and these do li- you route that into your brain? That's what they do. Through That's what? Cr- through what? Through little catheters and wires. A catheter goes through your neck and up to the brain? No, usually it's done from the groin up the aorta and then up through the blood vessels, the carotid arteries or the vertebral arteries to the brain. Wacky. Wow. And then they, they I, can't, I really don't know, I don't know what the coils are made of offhand, but they are like these tiny near like microscopic coils that they just like puff into the aneurysm and it fills the aneurysm up and it causes clotting of the aneurysm. And they don't need uh, brain surgery if they're able to do it that way. If they can't coil it, then you have to go to surgery and you have to put a clip across the base of it. Mm. Very intriguing. Which means that that's dead forever, though, that aorta. No, because all it is is it's a weak pocket on the side of the blood vessel generally. So the rest of the blood vessel is okay. There's just an area of it that's weak. Mm. And... um, the risk, obviously, is if it's not done properly, that those little coils, instead of going into the aneurysms, can go up further into the brain and cause a stroke. So it's it's a very delicate operation, not operation, but procedure. Very crazy stuff. Here. Are you awake during that? No. Okay. No, because the patient has to be still when they do that. If they move they can puncture the artery with the catheters that they're using. So the person has to be perfectly still. So, okay. We have a whole bunch of like questions related to like your normal life, not really to um, anesthesia, really. I don't know. So that's like day, daily life. Daily life. I, so just, people, I, I need to make it clear what? to the people who are listening to this. I'm an anesthesiologist, yes, okay? So I'm giving you an anesthesiologist view of it. I am not an expert in, in aneurysms. I'm yes. not an expert in coronary artery disease. But I'm giving you a basic knowledge of what a person learns in medical school and sees as part of their taking yeah. care of people every day. There are okay. a lot more details, and quite frankly, I could be making mistakes here, but I don't think so. Okay. okay. Um, someone wants to know what your day-to-day looks like when you get to the hospital. Um, I usually get up around 5 o'clock, uh, be, get ready. It takes about 35 minutes to get to work. I get to the hospital sometime around between 6.30, quarter to 7, depending upon my day. The operations start uh, generally at 7.30, if, unless you're doing a heart. Heart start at a quarter to six and seven Why? o'clock. Quarter to six? Yeah. A quarter to six in the morning? Why do you do that? Well, because they are long operations and sometimes they want to do multiple operations in a day. And they also like to be done at a reasonable time. So they like to start a little bit early. And there's a lot more preparation of the patient for cardiac surgery than there is for a lot of other ones. Once you bring a patient in the room for a cardiac case, the anesthesia team generally has to do a lot of things before the patient's ready to have their surgery. 
Uh, so our next sponsor, I'm wearing it. I'm, wearing I'm always it. wearing it. You're always wearing I'm it. I'm always. And it's it's great. It's like Lauren's thing is that like good style comes from having like good basics. Yes. And everyone is all about having premium essentials with the, made of the finest material without the traditional markup. Yes. And they want you to know why you're paying for what you're paying for. So first they tell you their real costs and they're radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. And I know we're all trying to get out of the fast fashion movement. So here we go. We have Everlane with amazing basics that you'll probably wear for I don't know. I'll be wearing those jeans for like 20 years. I swear to God. What did I said to you? I go, where'd you get those jeans yesterday? Yes. yes. Because and- there's one company that I pretty much always wear <clears throat> my jeans from. Mm-hmm. You guys might know what it is. But when I saw Lawrence Everlane, I was like, okay, I can give those a look. They're a little I more hipster, more. like yeah. a little more relaxed. They're more of like a boyfriend fit. Yes. Yeah. And I love them. Yeah. And essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. Can I also mention that um, Angeline Jolie, the Today Show, and NPR all love Everlane, and they've also been mentioned in Vogue. Well, Angeline Jolie wears it? Apparently. So, I mean, that's enough. Yeah. You know, enough said. I don't even have to say the others. Ashley right now is wearing the 100% cashmere sweater with a V-neck. It's so it's so good just to throw on and feel really, really cozy. And then I have the um, mom jeans, and okay. I have a um, a cardigan. Really, really cute. Three button up. It's and perfect. what did I wear on Thanksgiving? Was that Everlane too? On Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, look at that. The turtleneck? Yes, yeah. very good. Um, and that premium Japanese denim made in the world's cleanest denim factory. So right now, you can check out your personalized collection at everlane.com slash get it. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash get it. Everlane.com slash get it. Don't you have to like stop all the blood to the heart? How do you do that? Well, that that's a that occurs thing? in during the the operation itself. How okay? Well, that's just mind boggling to me. So but, there's no blood going through the heart, but then you put it on a machine so that like the machine works as the heart. That is correct. Yeah, okay. All right. So wacky. When was that discovered? When was heart surgery actually, like we can yeah, do this, this thing? Is, this is so open format. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna I say know. it's like we're digressing here. You ask me what well, I do every day. But okay. I want to stick to the questions, the answers. Okay. 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 But can he just answer this one? Fine. Um, it, uh, bypass uh, coronary artery bypass was probably started in the fifties. Okay. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but still that's still pretty what, good. Yeah, it's still like really recent. Like you were born in that mm-hmm. decade. Correct. <laughs> okay. Lord. Okay. So you get to the hospital. Okay. So around. I get to the hospital, and um, in the place that I work, which is the, really the general OR, we do all sorts of different cases. We don't do any cardiac cases. We don't do any GYN cases, and we don't do any OB cases. But anything else. That's your we department? What? That's where I generally oh, work you. in that area of the hospital. Oh, okay, yes. Okay. And you used to do all those things though. I yeah, I, I used to do hearts many, many years ago. That's a whole different story. Hearts has changed so much over the time since uh I've stopped doing it. It's it's really incredible the things that they do do today. Okay. Um back then there was although it didn't seem straightforward to it uh, to us at the time. Right now, what we did back then is pretty straightforward compared to what they do today. Oh, damn. So you're out of the loop. 
Well, I'm out of the loop in the sense that I don't do those things. And people who do uh, cardiac anesthesia now um, generally have a fellowship. They do a year beyond their residency in order to, oh, okay. to do it. And there's a lot of different procedures that are coming up all the time that they have to do continuing medical education in order to be able to do. Interesting. Um, so... I generally cover four operating rooms. We work in an anesthesia care team, which means that there's an anesthesiologist working with uh, CRNAs or certified registered nurse anesthetists. And, um, you know, I usually cover three to four rooms uh, at a time. And um, when you say cover three to four rooms, people always wonder like, like you go in, you give the anesthesia and you leave and that's your job is done. So do you want to clarify that? No, my job is not done. Right. What what happens is I, I evaluate the patient um, before they go back to the operating room to un- understand what their medical issues are that are going to impact the, uh, the anesthetic and the surgery. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the kind of surgery that the patient's having too. We, I work with the uh, CRNA and come up with an anesthesia plan, what we're going to do, whether it's going to be general anesthesia, whether it's going to be What's spine. What's the difference between general anesthesia and like, well, local is you're awake and you're just like, it, you just put a little numbing shit, That's correct. right? So what's general versus, what's the other like popular one? Regional. What does that mean? Like, a, like an epidural. Oh, that's like an epidural. Right? An epidural, a spinal, there are also. Are you awake during a spinal? Yeah, you can be. Let me say that you can be awake. We generally don't keep people awake because people don't like hearing what's going on in the operating room, yeah, especially. Spinal I always say, I always say to the people who are having total joints like knees and hips, yeah. who we do spinals on all the time, yeah. that you know we're going to get you off to sleep. At the same time, you're not going to have any breathing tubes or or anything like that. You're going to breathe on your own, just like you were sleeping in bed. But um, people just don't like hearing the hammers and saws. That they're using for things like mm-hmm. hip surgery and knee surgery. And Do you put them to sleep so well that they don't wake up for that? Yeah. Okay. Well, like they're they're sedated. They're heavily sedated. There's the possibility that you could wake up. If you do, it's no big deal because mm-hmm. you're numb, you know, from your waist down or the middle of your chest down or whatever. Is a C-section a spinal? Uh, or most of the time, not all the time, but majority of the time. Um, so to get back to what we were talking about, um, so we'll evaluate it, we'll come up with a plan, we'll discuss it with each other, what we're going to do, how we're going to monitor the patient. Sometimes it's as simple as just monitoring them with a blood pressure cuff, a pulse oximeter to measure the amount of oxygen in your blood and an EKG. And that's pretty much it. But if you have other underlying medical problems where we have to have better control of your blood pressure, um, or there's a, uh, the expectation that there's going to be a significant amount of blood loss during the procedure. We may put something called an arterial line in, which is an IV, but instead of it going into a vein in your arm, it goes into an artery in your wrist directly, and we put it, hook it up to a pressure transducer, and we actually measure the pressure of blood pressure directly, so we know what your blood pressure is beat to beat, and. Uh, it gives us a little bit more control and a little more information about being able to take care of people. Mm. We also can put in interven- large intravenuses that go in people's necks or under- underneath their collarbone called central lines. Mm. We do that for a lot of different reasons, some of which is to be able to give a lot of fluid or blood through if we have to or to infuse uh, very potent 
medications that affect blood pressure and heart rate. So is that generally for people who aren't in the best shape? Um, yes and no. You're probably more likely to put monitoring like that in people who are older and have more medical problems. Um, but if you, a young person was coming to surgery and there was an expectation that there was going to be a lot of blood loss, we would do it for them too. Would do you put a like central for- line in when they're asleep already? Generally, yes. If you're really, really sick and, you know... We like we might decide to put it in when you're awake, but the vast majority of them have it put in after they're asleep. I can imagine putting something in your neck when you're awake. Is well, remember we sedate you. Yeah. If we do it awake, you're sedated. We use local anesthetic to numb up the area a little bit, so it's not as bad as it would seem. It's wintertime, and the place that I always discover the best moisturizers and exfoliants, which I always find super, well, they're crucial for me to get all those little dead, dry skin cells off during the winter. Um, I find them all from FabFitFun. I love FabFitFun. Um, I think you guys know that if you follow me, you're pretty familiar with FabFitFun over the past couple of years. It's a seasonal subscription box. You get four-year and it's chock full of amazing beauty, lifestyle, fitness stuff. Yeah, I also think it's just a really good gift to give because it, oh, it's an amazing the, gift to give because then you give a gift and it's four times a year. It comes four times a year. Amazing, and there's so like when you open the box, you're like, wow, there's so much stuff. It's in It's very here. aesthetically pleasing. So someone that you're giving this gift for, like they're bound to be obsessed with something in this box, and there it just looks like very presentable in a gift box already yeah and the boxes come with eight to ten full-size full-size products that's also very um unique you know a lot of them will come a lot of subscription boxes come with little taste testers it is usually $49.99 but with our code which is get it g-e-t-i-t you're gonna get ten dollars off your first box at fabfitfun.com so for $39.99 you can get a box seasonal box four times a year with full-size beauty fitness fashion and lifestyle products and the, the thing that i think is so amazing about this is that the value of the box is always over 200 dollars. and i say this but i think it's been over like 300 dollars for yeah. a long time um, really good brands really good brands again what i love so much about it is that you can Get you can discover so many products in this box, and also you can personalize your products these days um, because they have a lot of options. You can go to our website, fabfitfun.com, and explore and become more familiar with the brand and the products, and also curate the box specifically to you. So, again, head over to fabfitfun.com, use the code get it, GETIT, to get $10 off your first box. Okay, so your surgeries go till what time? Well, surgeries go all day. I mean, because of the nature of our business and because surgeries go through the whole day, um, we generally have works, work shifts. We, you know, the, the normal shift is from seven to four if you're not on call. But if you're on call and we have more than, we have 18 people who are on call every day and we kind of like peel off as the day goes on, they, they take over and uh, we just do it round the clock. So the people that are on call take like the emergency room cases that go immediately into surgery. Well, the, the the business of medicine is such nowadays that elective surgery is being done later and later and later into the day into the night. So it's not just Why emergency surgeries. 
Why is that? Um, that's a good question. Some of it is the desire of the hospital system in order to be able to deliver a certain level of care in their community. Um, the other is because, <clears throat> you know, you're doing emergency cases and traumas that come in and there's no time limit to, they can happen any time or any day. Um, surgeons are busier the reason that they're busier is because the population is aging and because the population is aging, they're getting sicker. And, you mean the baby boomers are getting older? Yes, and they're requiring more procedures. Boomers. There's, <laughs> boomers. They're, relative to the number of patients there are, there are less docs and nurses and CRNAs. Um, and when you put all those things together, it means that you're working longer and later. Why are there less doctors and nurses now? Well, the absolute number is not less, but relative to the number of people that are having surgery, there's no, there's not as much escalation in the number of providers relative to the amount of people who are having surgery. Not necessarily less doctors, just more people to take care of. Okay. Um, Wait, uh, this brings me, since you were talking about the hospital system and all this, this one person wants to know how much the medical world is dedicated by money from the pharmaceutical companies. That was written on my end, end the podcast with a deep. Mm-hmm. Deep political well, I shit. Think that we're talking well, about the system. I mean, it's it, it's it's an issue. Um, it's a it's it's an issue. Okay, we'll dive deep into this because I think a lot of people are interested in it. You specifically ask the question again because this specifically, how much of the medical world is dedicated dictated by money from the pharmaceutical companies? So they're distributing where the money goes, I guess, the pharmaceutical companies. I think like I think the no, big there's question- influence okay. by the pharmaceutical companies on what physicians use. Okay. okay. Yes, yes. There's there's a lot of that. Um I don't know how to address that issue. It, it reps come in all the time and try to sell you products, okay? Um there's at least in what I do, there's no. This is really going to be good. A good word, quid pro quo, and all these things that's going on. Like if I do this for mm-hmm. you, I'll do. You know, I'll get something in return. It's a very popular phrase nowadays. Um, it's just that um, there is influence because you know they'll they'll come in and they'll give you lunch, or they'll come <laughs> in and take you. They'll take you out to dinner. Yeah. Um, and on some psychological level, I'm sure that the reason that they do it is they know that you're influencing your decision to use a particular drug, uh, as a result of the fact that they're wooing you by giving you bagels, giving you lunch. <laughs> you guys you know, need to have from you know, backbone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying like like do I go in the OR and say I'm gonna use this drug because so and so just gave me bagels this morning? No. no, I don't. I don't consciously do that. But how like but I, how, I, I, like, I don't know whether I do are? it unconsciously. Okay. Wouldn't someone just use a drug that works properly? Yeah. Is yes, it all but like sometimes brand? sometimes the drug the the difference between the how effective the drugs are may not necessarily mean that it's worth paying more money for one over the the other okay so can i like put this into terms that it maybe our audience will understand sure yeah. with botox <laughs> there's botox which is what everybody it's like kleenex of um, botulinum toxin okay so that is like 
you know, Kleenex to tissues. Yeah. Then there's Dysport, which is another alternative, which works just the same. And then there's a new one on the market called Xenomian or whatever. Okay, so why So do- those are three different ones that do the exact same thing. They freeze wherever your muscle is. They, so, but but the rep the reps must say be coming to the docs and saying this is better because yeah I'm sure so from the makers of BarkBox meet Super Chewer and this monthly subscription box launched two years ago to cater towards active dogs who play harder and demand a challenge so each month you and your dog receive an innovative immersive adventure of tough toys and treats designed for dogs that chew harder and jump higher run faster and fetch further so what you do is you choose a plan a 1, 6 or 12 month plan is available shipping is free inside the 48 United States Um, all plans are billed monthly they also ship to Canada as well, and they ship to all the U.S. states. You can find out all the pricing when you head over to superchewer.com slash I-D-G-I. You get 50% off your first Super Chewer box when you visit superchewer.com slash I-D-G-I and subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan and plus get free shipping for life in the continental United States. So... If you have a big active dog, yes. Well, maybe it doesn't have to be big, but it, no, it has to be a player, and a also, real player. If this, if you're like maybe like dating a new guy and he has like a big dog and he's obsessed with his dog or something, I think this is a really good Christmas gift because you're not really giving him like you're just starting dating. You're not really giving him a gift, but you're giving his dog a gift, which basically means more to him than a gift for himself. And they can play. Uh, rough and be adorable and each month's box comes with two innovative tough toys two meaty chews and two full-size bags of treats that's pretty dank honestly also the designers create all natural rubber and nylon toys that are interactive like there's puzzles um treat lock systems pool toys fetching flings like these are these are not your standard squeaky toys no no no, no they're not okay so go over to uh, where are we going, Ashley? Superchewer.com slash IDGI. Yes, and get 50% off your first Super Chewer box. So, like, you guys in anesthesia have a whole bunch of the same drugs that do the same thing. Kind of like Tylenol, Advil, uh, Excedrin, all that stuff. And then you kind of, like, pick and choose which one you just like better? No. Or is it, like, really, like, branded to you, kind of? Like, no, you're like, I mean, for... Just to get to what you're get to what you're alluding to, mm-hmm. uh, I Tylenol would be better for somebody that I'm worried about bleeding on. Okay, so if somebody's in yeah. pain but I'm worried that they're going to bleed, then I'm going to give try to give them Tylenol rather than giving them the Advil. Um, if, by the same token, uh, if somebody's pain is moderate enough that I can give them Advil or ibuprofen, whatever you want to say, and not give them narcotics, then I'm going to give them the Advil because of the side effects from the narcotics and the potential for abuse. I don't think that's what I'm saying, though. No, there's just little pros and cons to every little... Tropicana versus Minute Maid. They're both orange juice. One may taste better to you personally than the other. But are you influenced... By branding. By branding, I suppose. By branding and like the pharmaceutical reps being kind and fun and like when it comes down to really or like just generic things, one generic over the other, one one brand over the other. I you know it doesn't. 
I, I can only speak personally and say it doesn't really enter into my decisions very much at all. But that being said, they must be doing what they're doing because they know that they have it has an influence. Okay. okay. I think the bigger question here is what so many people will say is, we're not finding cures for cancer, Alzheimer's, blah, blah, blah. Because people because are making money off, off the, the drugs. drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in defense of the drug companies. Which, I have a defense uh, for it too. It's okay. pretty obvious. But, you know, they do, you know, they do make a lot of money. They are public companies. They are beholden to their shareholders and um, people invest in them and they want to give their, their investors a return. Um, as a result of people investing in those companies – they're spending a lot of money, you know, trying to come up with making new effective drugs. Um, I don't know the answer. How much profit is too much profit? I mean, it, it takes a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy in order to, and a lot of know-how in order to make the drugs that uh, are advancing medicine. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know what the pro- right answer is. I feel like it's to me, the obvious answer is if we were to find a cure for cancer, which isn't necessarily like in a plant, you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't they just just make money off of distributing that cure, that cure, that pill, cure in a pill form? Yeah, but this this notion that one company and one drug is going to cure cancer is is it's not it's not reality cancer is so many different diseases that one drug is not going to do it what do you mean so many different diseases it's the multiplication of a toxic cell yeah but there's you know there's so many different kinds of cancers there's adeno you know i, I don't want to get into too much there's leukemias and lymphomas and gastric sure, cancers but and let's lung just use they're one, all different let's just use one for an example like what if one drug company found the cure for leukemia then like wouldn't they just end up instead of making money off chemo they'd end up making money off of the cure that company probably doesn't make the chemo so I mean, it's a whole thing. But do you believe that they are being like slow to find cures for certain things because of pharmaceuticals? No, I don't don't believe that. No, just because like they basically have cures for like AIDS right now and they sell that. Part of the dilemma obviously is that there are lots of diseases that are very rare. And because they're rare, there's no not much return on investment. Again, you're trying to mix medicine with 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 business, and yeah. they don't all they don't always mix. I mean, I I agree, you know, I believe that they don't mix. So people who have um, these rare tropical diseases, so it, and there only happens, you know, you know, a thousand people have it or ten thousand people have it to. Sp- Ben, from the business side, to spend millions and millions or billions of dollars to try to find a cure for those particular diseases, there's no return on investment. They're going to spend billions of dollars. Big diseases that like everybody knows somebody who's had it. What's your question about that? My question is a lot of people insinuate that like the medical world doesn't find cures because they make money off sick people. I, you know, I. I might be naive, but I don't believe it. So okay, I don't believe it. Now I, I will admit that there are companies that are making lots of money 
discovering, you know, new drugs. Um, how much of that profit is reasonable? I don't know who can answer that question. Okay, moving on, because it can be like a political debate, basically, it is, for it, years it, and it's, years. It's not a, I don't know that it's a political debate. It's a philosophical debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it political. can become political. I but. have the political debate if you want to wait till the end for that. Okay, cool. Um, let's see another good one. A lot of people want to know about why you chose... I didn't really answer that other person's question about my the day. The end of the day? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so wrap up your day, and then I have another <laughs> question for you. <laughs> So in any given day, I can have been involved in, you know, you know, sometimes 16, 17 surgeries, taking care of 16 or 17 patients. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, four o'clock comes around, you know, I get relieved. I probably were started some uh, cases and another one of my partners will come in and take over um, and I go home. Or if I'm on call, then... We, um, I just keep on going until I'm not needed anymore. So the day, the the shortest day that I'll be there in my particular job will be nine hours. Okay. Nine, nine, maybe 10 hours. There are a lot of, uh, I have a very, very busy, acute practice. Um, like does acute mean in this I circumstance? Mean, it, it means that the people are really very sick. Oh. Um, and, uh. There are a lot of places, and anesthesiologists, if people are, that's why they're asking the question, they're interested in this. Anesthesiologists can work in ambulatory surgery centers, which are busy. Uh, It's rapid turnover, short cases, unlike mine, which are longer, more complicated procedures. And places like that, people can get out early. Is that because, like, Fairfax Hospital is, like, the go-to place for, like, major surgeries? It's, like, more of, like, the... It's a like, regional referral center. So it's the only tertiary care trauma center in um, in Northern Virginia. Okay, so it's like the most highly respected. It was, uh, is that well, you know, if you want to if you want to get into the U.S. Neuro News Report kind of report things, it, it was voted the number one hospital in the Washington D.C. metro area. Okay, so if you're really sick, you go to you go to Fairfax. If you have a broken leg, you go to like. Mm. Well, well, I won't. Well, I won't shame any it, other it, restaurant. But it depends. Restaurant. I mean, a lot of if you broke your leg because due to significant trauma, you're going to come to Fairfax because the orthopedic surgeons in the other hospitals either don't have the experience or the expertise to take care of them, or don't want to. Okay, so one I got a couple times is: Do redheads actually require more anesthesia? Yeah. Have you ever heard this? Yes. Okay, so what is the story? What is it? Get close to the mic, sir. Actually, without being, I'm not trying to discriminate or anything <laughs> about this, but they can be a little bit more of a pain in the ass to take care of than other people. What? Yeah, I mean, Why it's just that? now. I, it's just I don't know. They they're <laughs> they're a little different. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean it again. I don't mean it in any bad way. I love redheads. Okay, but. Um, when I always do this, when I when I walk into the pre-op area and I walk in to see a patient and they're red, I look and the first thing I say is, "You're a redhead." Dad. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's so, so funny. Please, redheads of the world, please don't hate me. But there, there's, I don't know whether they're wives' tales or not. They say that sometimes they're more difficult to anesthetize. It takes more medications, and there might be something genetic about that. Yeah, quite frankly, yeah. because. 
There are genes that are responsible for metabolizing the drugs that we give, and it might be that red, being a redhead is correlated with having those genes that are, have, are decreased or increased metabolizers. They also say they tend to bleed a little bit more. I can kind of see that. Um, um, another question. Well, we could kind of just wait, go rapid I feel like fire. Dad has more okay. to say oh, about okay. that. If you okay. have more rap- well, I just I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to be prejudicial here. It's Obviously just that, that, not because yeah. we got a couple comments. Of, yeah. Like It's a known thing out there yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Oh, I like this question. What? Do you believe in natural medicine such as acupuncture, oils, chiropractic work, etc.? Holistic, med- Holistic medicine. I think they have their place. They're, uh, you know, they're not the end all and be all to everything. Acupuncture. There's a lot of anesthesiologists that learn acupuncture in order to help people with pain, uh, pain management, and pain syndromes. Um, chiropractors have their place. No, no question about it. They help a lot of people. I don't, you know, personally, whether or not anything they do has an effect on internal medical issues, I'm not qualified to say. Um, and, you know, herbs, well, let me tell you, you know, a lot of people taking ginkgo biloba and they're taking stuff to, to sleep at night and so forth and they end up working. And melatonin actually, works for you. Well, it's, melatonin does. Actually, I hate the dreams that you have on the melatonin. But... Um, the, the important thing about the holistic stuff is the people who are taking those supplements, they have sometimes have a significant effect on surgery and anesthesia. Oh. Specifically, um, most of them affect your bleeding. So we ask people to stop them 7 to 14 days before they have anesthesia and surgery. Okay. Uh, any advice for someone who's seriously considering anesthesiology as a specialty? She's a, this girl is a fifth year medical student and also, okay, well, second question. That's the question for now. You can't have a strong ego and to go into anesthesia. There is just something about the specialty and generally the people who go into it that they don't engender as much respect from people as say a cardiac surgeon or an internist or something like that you know when you know when you for instance when i get phone calls in the hospital and the nurses on the floor call or mm-hmm. or, or, or pas or some will call and they don't know who i am they'll say is this anesthesia well frankly <laughs> no i'm not anesthesia i'm dr Iconetti. so oh, there's this there is yeah. this this lack of respect for the specialty and for what we do and a lot of it is because we tend i think to be kind of passive we don't like confrontation and we just go roll with the with the punches so it's like anesthesia's here like this yeah, whole yeah exactly team it's is not doctor yeah. so so it's not so anesthesia. anesthesia's here oh okay so that you know if if that kind of thing's going to bother you, it's probably not the specialty to go into. It's hmm. funny because in sitcoms and in movies, whenever there is an anesthesiologist present, they always are like the nerdy, like the sidekick character. Well, and it's there's there's some truth to that. We're kind of geeky, you know. We like technology. Um, we like. We like to see the results. We, we don't. We're not patient at all. We like to do something and see the results of it right away. Um, if you're, that's why a lot of people won't go into internal medicine because it's all chronicity. Oh, yeah. It's you know like, you're taking care of people. Yeah, right. yeah. This is like your blood pressure is high. I'm giving you this drug. Yeah. 
it's coming down. Got it. Um, you wait, know? can we also just talk about how Grey's Anatomy makes fun of anesthesia like so much? There was like a there was like an episode where they like so much belittled it. It was the that guy who was um, he used to be he changed com- professions into into it. Remember that black guy? Who yeah, changed I mean Miranda's. It wasn't that Miranda's husband. Yeah. Who's Miranda? No, he was an anesthesiologist then wanted to become a surgeon or something. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's actually, it usually works the other way around. Oh. A lot of people go into something, don't like it, and then they go into anesthesia. Okay. It's much more, that's much more common. Yeah. Grace fans, I'm sorry if it's been a couple of years since I followed regularly, so I'm so sorry I, if I got my facts I mean, wrong, I, I have but... a particular interest in this person's question. Yeah. I mean, I want to really answer it again. And so you shouldn't have... You, you, you know, if you got, don't have a strong ego, you shouldn't go into it. If you, if you do need, have a strong ego. Well, no. Somebody who can take all that, you know, criticism or degradation or whatever you want to call it, just being called anesthesia yeah. so forth, you have to have a strong ego. You got to say, you no. know what, I'm not going to let that bother me no, because okay. I know what I do and obviously you don't. Yeah, but don't or, you think surgeons have the biggest ego because they, they think they're like, they do God's work? They do have, they, yes, they do. Um, but aren't there certain stereotypes for each profession? And I mean, yeah, each, absolutely. each concentration. Absolutely. And, so and like just you do said, it real quick. Like, well, the anesthesiologist is the nerdy computer guy, geeky kind of guy. Uh, the surgeon is kind of like the soldier. What's going to go get in there and get this done? <laughs> you know, cardiac surgeons. You know, I'm just telling you, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. They are the. Control freaks beyond. I mean, they know everything, do everything, want everything. Cardiologists are. What's the difference between cardiologists and a heart surgeon? Cardiologists, I got to tell you, colleagues, if you're out there listening to me, cardiologists <laughs> or whatever, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not bashing you. This is just, I go into rooms that cardiologists train and they're like, tons of people in there helping them because it's like i want this i want that get me this get me that they they're very they're kind of needy or princes and princes kind of things kind of people um but what is the difference between a cardiologist and a in a car in cardio surgeon a cardiac surgeon is a surgeon a cardiologist doesn't do any surgery oh. he'll, do, he'll do procedures you know invasive procedures but doesn't do any t- real surgery no open heart uh no no okay. open heart um I find ENT docs to be extremely compulsive and anal and, and controlling. I can see that. Um, uh, That's ear, nose, and throat. OBGYNs, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to get some hate mail here. Oh, no. <laughs> like, they are stereotypes. They are stereotypes. These are by this definition is, is, stereotypes. OBGYNs, no OBGYN when it comes to anything else. Like, can, can you look at this EKG for me? What does this lab mean? They kind of like, they. I get the sense that a lot of them, not all of them, you know, kind of like forget a lot of the medicine and they rely on anesthesiologists to do that for them. That's actually part of the anesthesiologist's role is to kind of be the internist of the operating room. We have a lot of knowledge, a little knowledge about a lot of things mm-hmm. because we have to take care of people who have all these different things. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of times surgeons, orthopedic surgeons are the jocks. They're all, you know, but it's like, they have this joke on the internet, you know, I have a patient in the emergency room. He has a broken leg. <laughs> I need to fix it. Okay. Well, you know, the, the patient's in cardiac arrest and we're doing CPR on him. 
I need to break fix his broken leg. So you know, a little it's bit more like uh, caveman, just like yeah, more caveman. like basic, the, it, just it, basic. Yeah, caveman. Okay. Okay. Another question: um, This girl's boyfriend is in his residency to be an anesthesiologist, and she is concerned about the work life balance once he's in attending. Uh well, of all the specialties, it probably offers you the most ability to f- be flexible enough to to balance that work life uh, issue that you're you're talking about. Okay. Um, I will say that, and again, I'm, we're going to get hate mail for this. It's ge- that's generally the millennial approach to things. I mean, when I interview new docs now. That is more of their concern than anything else is what how they're going to be able but to balance. Is that a sh- should we shame them for that? Isn't no, that important well, to put family life for, like, no, first? I'm no, I'm not shaming them. All I'm just making uh, stating a fact based on my experience that there is a more of an emphasis on the work-life balance now than ever before. Whereas, but generally, when people went into medicine. They knew that it was going to be very, very demanding. It was going to consume a lot of their life, and um, and they were willing to do it. And there was they weren't as much concerned about the work life balance as they are now. Uh, it's probably a good thing that that they are, and especially because medicine has changed too. It's gotten much more demanding. We're doing much more complicated complicated things, and I guess. When you start to talk to people at my uh, point in my career later on in life, if they looked back, they would probably say, "You know what? I probably should have taken a little more time and spent mm. it with my with my family." So, no, I don't criticize them for it. I'm just telling you, it's more of an issue for people than it was before. Well, when I was with Doctor Bittar yesterday, he's a plastic surgeon, you guys, he um, said that dermatology. Because I said that I was like, sometimes I think like I wish I had gone the dermatology route, the complete opposite of broadcasting um but he said that dermatologists work their hardest before getting into their specialty because it's so hard to get into and then they have the easiest of all doctor jobs once they actually get into it why is it so sought after because it does create that work-life balance so perfectly and there's no emergencies probably yeah, it is back in, again. I can only comment on what it was like back in the day that and I was in today, my residency. It must be even more sought after because yeah, it's uh, so cosmetic. It was like really difficult to get a, a derm uh, position or in a residency. It was like the most difficult thing. There were very, very few spots for lots of people. Whether that's changed or not now, I don't know. But yeah, there are no emergencies. You know, you have your you have your office hours. You decide how much. You know, you want to work, how much vacation time you want. I will tell you, though, that they really understand internal medicine or medicine a lot because a lot of the things that they see are the outward expression of internal diseases. Mm-hmm. And they pick up a lot of things. Actually, Dr. Lusos' son, when he had lymphoma, he had lesions on his scalp. Mm-hmm. And when the dermatologist looked at it, he said, this is a problem. Okay, so give them some credit. They are, first of all, they're really, really smart people. They are smart in in part because they get weeded out Mm -hmm. because it's such a competitive field. And they know a lot of medicine. They're just fortunate enough that they don't deal with a lot of emergencies. And um, that's the nature of the business. I wouldn't wouldn't want to be looking at people's skin all day. It'd probably drive me crazy. I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) Um, What... 
tell everybody what an internist is if they don't know what that is, because that's like your regular checkup doctor. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, uh, you know, and it, what's an internist? It's not an intern. What's the difference between an intern and Yeah, no, it's internal medicine. We, we call them internists, but it's internal medicine. They are, I mean, they're... They're what everybody's idea of what a doctor is. They learn a lot about internal medicine, about medicine, about pathology, about disease, about uh, therapeutics and how to um, treat those diseases. Uh, they're not, they're, they're more generalists in the sense that they know a wide breadth of medicine and then what they end up doing is generally concentrating on one specialty or another endocrinology um uh, hematology chemo uh, oncology so they do residency they learn a wide breadth of pathology and disease and then a lot of them will then focus in on one given area of uh, of medicine very intriguing father. Now, have you heard anything about treating depression with ketamine? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, wait, really? really? Okay. So ketamine, both of us let just me laugh. So, no. So let me tell you about ketamine. First of all, it's kind of like a derivative of fencyclidine, which is angel dust. What's angel okay. dust? Okay. Angel dust is, is a an hallucinogenic drug. But that's what ketamine, when we know, what we laughed at it because it it's is- a horse tranquilizer. It's a horse tranquilizer. It is. It's that a, can I, is a recreational drug. Yes. It can be used as a recreational okay. drug. It, it's a hallucinogenic drug. And generally, the hallucinations that people get are horrific. I mean, it's not... I can't believe that people use it for fun because... <laughs> Lauren, do you have a different experience? No, I've never used it before, I swear to God. No, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's... The, the dreams that people have are horrible. Actually, so let's go back a step. It's used often in anesthesia and it's being used more often now than it probably ever was before. It's an intense analgesic, which means that it does a great job of taking care of pain. Um, it, it causes stimulation of the central nervous system. So most of the things that we use when we put people to sleep depress the central nervous system, mm -hmm. depress the heart, lower the blood pressure. Ketamine, on the other hand, you give it and it can actually raise the blood pressure. Mm. Um, so we use it a lot or we use it for trauma where people who come in and have really, really low blood pressure or low heart rates are unstable. So when we get them off to sleep, you can use ketamine and it sports the blood pressure. It also, unlike the drugs that we use, it doesn't stop people from breathing. It actually stimulates breathing a little bit. So, uh, that's another benefit for it under the circumstances of, of, of a trauma or, or somebody who has an, an airway that uh, you're concerned about. So it gets it gets a bad rap because of it, it's hallucinogenics, and um, there's a ways there are ways of getting around people having bad reactions and bad dreams. And since you give a, something called a benzodiazepine before you give it, which is uh, like Valium or Versed, if you give that first, and you should always give that when you give ketamine, by the way. And any in large doses, because otherwise you're setting somebody up for having terrible, terrible hallucinations. Huh. People like under under yeah, like when they're people, sleeping. And people will say when you give it to them that they were looking at the operating room lights, mm -hmm. 
And the operating room lights were these worlds that were exploding oh and God. arms coming out. Or, oh, my or, God. Or they, or they had third arms or, or an extra leg or things. I mean, it's like crazy stuff. <laughs> have, have you ever had ketamine? No. Okay. So. <laughs> so Don't worry, Dad. Lauren so hasn't had ketamine here, well, Here's like what it, what's important. So I told you all the things about ketamine, yes. why it's good, Depression. why it's bad. But most recently, there are two things that it's being used for. Excuse me, Ethel is digging at the hardwood for some reason. That's very bizarre. interesting. Why is Ethel doing that, Dad? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so it's being used for two things nowadays. One, pain, post-operative pain. In low doses, in sub-anesthetic doses, in doses way lower than what you would give somebody to get them off to sleep, mm-hmm. it actually, like I told you, was intensely analgesic. You it mean does what a, analgesic means? Analgesic means it's pain. No, no, no. Oh. Analgesic means it stops pain. Okay. Um, on really low doses that don't affect your brain to the point where you're getting hallucinations, it can really help reducing the amount of narcotic that you need after surgery mm. in order to manage your pain. So we're putting a lot of people on low doses of ketamine to be what we call narcotic sparing, especially in, with all this stuff going on with narcotic, uh, the narcotic problems yeah this is a way for us to reduce the amount of narcotic that you give people and still take care of their pain so it'd be great for people who are drug addicts and they are having surgery uh yes okay and And one more thing yeah to get to the point about depression there are clinics popping up all over the place where people are getting ketamine for the management of depression i don't know the doses they give how long they do it but there's evidence out there that it's effective i we spoke i spoke to one of the um, psychiatrists to do electroconvulsive therapy at uh, the hospital mm-hmm. about it and he said you know, it's a fad right now. It may work for some people, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to replace, you know, ECTs and anyway, and all the other antidepressants for depression. Why do you have any idea why they'd be more like why therapy pluses to using ketamine over antidepressants? I'm out of my league. I, okay. I don't. I don't know the. Oh well, probably because of the side effects. Well, yeah, the side effects yeah. of antidepressants uh, and the side effects. No, the side effects of ketamine. Would be a reason not not to, to use, use them. Yeah. Okay, um, but again, they're using really small doses. So, someone wants to know if people ever confess deep dark secrets to you after they've been injected with anesthesia. No, no, you nah. get nothing juicy. Doesn't, nah, you know, as people go off to sleep and they get disinhibited, you know, <laughs> just like you would have a couple of drinks, they might say something that <laughs> they ever like they hit on you. What? Well, <laughs> no. oh, you have a funny story. No, I mean, you know, people will say, "Oh, your eyes look so nice as they're drifting off to sleep," oh, or something hilarious. like that. Oh, you know? that's so sweet. Uh, something, you know, something like but that. But you probably get immune to it after doing it for thirty years. That it's not funny anymore. It's always funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's you never, you, you never get, uh, it never gets too old. Well, Lauren, you want to end it with a fun question? Um, I think I use up all my fun questions, but actually, I saw another one. Do you poop while you're under general anesthesia? Rarely, but it. Does but you happen. lose control over your bowels. Yes. Yeah, but you know, it doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen very often at all. And is it not like embarrassing, even if it does? 
You won't know you're asleep. Well, yeah, but when you wake up, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's uh, it, if I. You know, if I had four sets of hands and I said it happened 20 so times in my toes. entire 30 years, I'd say that was probably an exaggeration. Okay. It just doesn't, just doesn't happen that much. All right. Well, so Dad. people worry about it all the time? Doesn't. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know. All right. Well, all right. I well, think it's very informative. Thank you all was, for joining us. I was definitely in it. I was listening. I liked it. If you guys like it, let us know. Message boards. And... uh We'll, we'll try and get soon. Steve on the podcast next. Yeah, my buddy Steve would be great. We got to yeah. get him doing it. Okay. Yeah. All bye, right. Bye, everyone. guys. I don't podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.